As we continue our new series on God, the Gospel of John, uh, we're still on the beginning prologue part. Um, so before we delve into the text, which is John chapter 1, verse 4 through 13, let me do a quick recap. The first is the purpose of the book. Unlike other Gospels, the uh, Gospel of John is clearly spelled out by John himself. The purpose in chapter 20, verse 31, he writes, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The purpose is that we may know Christ Son of God. Jesus is the promised Messiah that by believing him we could have eternal life. It is evangelistic. But as I mentioned last, last week, the depth of his teaching on this is not just for new believers or unbelievers to discover the gospel of Christ in a simple, very readable way, but also for all of us who thirst for deeper truth of God, there is none other among the four Gospels than John is deeply theological. And you, you, we will see that even today, again, as we have seen it last Sunday. So in one hand, it's for saving faith, evangelistic side of it. On the other hand, it is abundant life. Quick overview, uh, lest we get lost in all this. But simply, Gospel of John can be simply divided into four parts. The one that we are doing is a prologue today. So we will take one more Sunday to finish off the prologue, so which is Jesus' eternal identity. And incarnation. As I mentioned, unlike other Gospels, typically uh, uh, Mark and Luke starts with Jesus' birth and biographical beginning of his life. John skips the birth part, even the childhood part. Chapter 1, verse 1, he's fully not only adult, but fully blown God. Full God. So prologue is actually um, kind of in a way that if we are you know, familiar with any kind of movie previews and here's what you can expect. That's what Apostle John is doing. And then namely it is about who Jesus is. He wants to be crystal clear on that, and after that, because his thesis in that, he's going to build up. Every story, every teaching, is all point to that. The main body of it is first part, chapter uh, 1 through 12, is public ministry, Jesus' self-disclosure, 
about his identity to Israel, that he is the Messiah, that he is Christ. And then as he's doing that, he's disclosing more and more, but on the other side of it, the animosity and the opposition builds up more and more. Chapter 13 through verse, uh, chapter 13 through verse, chapter 20, that many chapters are basically set aside for one week, the Passion Week, the last week. And this is distinctive part of Gospel of John because he designates that private teaching. He's closer behind the closed door. He's disclosure. He's sharing. He's commissioning. He's institution of the Lord's Supper for the first time. All that happened in that upper room and that Good Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And the epilogue is the resurrected Jesus showing up, uh, recommissioning specifically the Apostle Peter and Apostle John. But in, in that, the impl implication is to to recommission all the disciples, including us. Last week, we meditated on three verses that Jesus' eternal identity begins with this verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Quick summary on that is Jesus is the pre-existent word. The pre-existence of Jesus meant in the beginning is not in the beginning of his birth or in the beginning of his ministry. In the beginning of Genesis no one one before anything existed. So implication is clear. Jesus' pre-existence means, refers to, points to that he is uncreated being. That he has no beginning, no end. That he's not in the time. And then he goes on to spell those things out. He was with God, coexistent with God. So in other words, a separate person but in that, he was God. The Trinity was introduced in this first few verses. Eternal Word, coexistent God. And thirdly, he says, Jesus is divine agent of creating all things. He is the creator. So because of this complexity, the mystery of Trinity, we could explain it in a very weird way God created heavens and earth and all things, you and me, through God. Jesus, the agent of creation, through the word. Let there be light, that self-expression of the almighty God is Christ. So unlike other gospels, 
She builds up a little bit. A lot of humanity of Jesus. Apostle John was very clear in the beginning. Prologue, therefore, gives us a sample themes for what's about to come for the rest of the gospel. And today's passage includes several of that. That's why we're taking time in, in this prologue. And chapter, I mean, chapter 1, verse 14 is actually the, the most important verse of the entire prologue, which will, we will set aside for next Sunday. So, today's passage begins with verse 4 this way. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So let's take one phrase and expound and meditate on that. In him was life. If we are careless, we could just look at it as, oh, he's alive. In him was life. Life was in him. Uh, you know, ER situation and the patient is on the table. Uh, in him is life. We would not say that, but in other words, he's alive. Well, it's much more than that. John is intentional in expressing it this way. Jesus himself is a self-existing life. The life came out of Jesus, in other words. All living creatures. Here's a Greek word for life. Zoe. Zoe, uh, well, the, the, the name and meaning became, and even the sound of it, Zoe, sounds so... Uh, appealing that many people name their children. We have one of jo Zoe's here, LG and Christina's daughter. Um, this Zoe is not a new concept at all, especially for Hellenistic Jews or even the Greeks, the Greco-Roman ev everyday ordinary people will understand right away. And even in this context, Jesus was just talk. John talked about Jesus being the creating agent of the entire universe and all things. So contextually, it could mean, oh, the physical life, the beautiful and the depth of John, the apostle, is this. He uses constantly double meaning. The subtlety of his implication is this. Yes, he is the physical life source of all creation, but it is also referring to spiritual life. The word life is one of the key themes in John's gospel. It will be repeated over and over when we look at in him was life spiritual life for whoever is in him in Christ has life 
Many of you will recall that 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And the testimony is this. He who has life. And by the way, I, I need to preface this. The purpose of John, Gospel of John, is so that people may believe in Christ and have eternal life. Purpose of first letter of John is so that you may be sure that you have eternal life. And having said that, 1 John 5, 11 and 12, he says, and the testimony is this. Whose testimony? God's testimony. He who has life, he who has son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have eternal life. Why? Because Zoe, spiritual life, is in Christ Jesus. It has directly related to our salvation. In case we might think that it's some type of a stuffy theological jargon, I still remember when I was 13, I've been going to church all my life, and it became a habitual thing. Now, by that time, it has to be my internalized faith, not, not my mom's faith, my, my grandma's faith. I had too many temptations back then. I was one of those early maturing adolescents. So I tried almost everything. I shouldn't say almost everything. All the things that you think, whoa, I, around seventh, eighth, seventh, seventh grade, eighth grade. This is my eighth grade height, by the way. This is sad. <laughs> <clears throat> but when I encountered the gospel, and there's a group of singers who became Christian, freshly became Christian. They're known and on radio, well-known singers, and they came to share testimony and sing a simple song. In him, in Jesus, there is life. Jesus came for the sinners. It was a very simple song. Guess what I felt? I heard that all my life. I, I was literally brought up. I don't remember which time when I been, went to church because I was probably in mother's womb. In my baby's time. The youngest classes I still remember to some blurry memories of Sunday school class. But that morning when they're sharing eternal life, that they're rejoicing, and simple song of, in Jesus, there's life. I cannot explain it, except that there's a newness, the vitality, the freshness. I cannot deny what they're sharing was so real. There's a, a follow-up story, but I'll save that towards the end. Uh, let's go to the some other passages to show that this is not something that you know, the almost the spiritists or the people who are fortune tellers are throwing words, kind of ambiguous words to kind of mean some things and sounding good. 
John is very intentional. The, everything that I found is that I could I could have found so many others from other uh, passages and other gospels and other New Testament passages, but intentionally I chose all this from Gospel of John, starting with chapter five, verse twenty-four. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes in believes him, who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And finally, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This life came into the world. The light has an effect. The life, Jesus' life has an effect as light. So that's, that's the second part. The same passage, verse 4 to 5, the life was the light of man. John, John writes, Jesus is the light of salvation. In the same way he used the double meaning for the word life, he's using the double meaning for the light as well. The context is still creation. Let there be light. There was a chaos and there was a darkness, nothingness, basically. And then Jesus, God says the word, the creating agent, Jesus, let there be light, there was light. So in one sense, it's a physical light that casts out all the darkness or nothingness, chaos. But on the other hand, John has once again intentional spiritual meaning in it, which means a spiritual light. Another key theme of John's gospel, the life, Jesus' life, was the light of man, the way to salvation, the blindness, lack of understanding, not in a way that we see blurry, but it's a nothingness. The deadness of our soul made blindness. The light comes in, and darkness has not overcome it. There's another side of it, right? So when the opposite is not just an absence of light, but it means evil, sin, and blindness that belongs to the domain of Satan, the evil one himself. So the expression is like children of light versus children of darkness. John uses that spiritual meaning 
It's no longer night anymore. Apostle Paul uses that analogy as well. We should walk in the light. We should live our life as day. And St. Augustine heard that. And the famous confession came out of that and repentance. The years of his sexual addiction, he abandoned it. And he became a true believer. And D.A. Carson calls this planned ambiguity. Ambiguity. He's intentionally ambiguous to include those double meanings. And I am so glad because even as a Christian, it's not something that we graduate. The reason why the scripture becomes dull is that our blindness take over and blurry eyes. But once we become awakened, our spirit is awakened to the light, by the light, the scripture becomes alive or correctly that we become alive to the scripture. The scripture is, word of God is living and active. We're the one who's dead. We're the one who's falling asleep. So gentle reminder, starting with me, for those of you, everything, everything became too dry and rusty in your spiritual walk. The gospel songs used to mean so much and worship songs spoke to you, and there was a joy in Sunday morning just anticipating come to praise, that you struggle so much so that, ah, should I go or should I just watch sports or Netflix or rest? The kids don't, don't want to go. Or when you open up the Bible and so-called a quiet time and it becomes legalistic. And, you know, I read a couple of times, it's just, there's no desire. I want you to know that as much as you might have come to saving knowledge, the default mode of our fallen heart still gravitates towards the darkness. Until we stand before Jesus in heaven, the power of sin is something that we would have to fight every day. So brothers and sisters, Let's open our eyes. It's just simple truth. The evil one is discouraging us. Even evil one is distracting us. But gentle, small still of the voice of the Holy Spirit prompts us to come to the light, to confess our sins, to get rid of blockage between the light and us. To come to close to the light, the word of the light. I think it's another theme, important theme, the repeated, the word light repeated over and over. So let me do this as well on light. Um, John 13, 19, Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love dark, the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 
8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not work, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 12.46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now we go to first letter of John, ch chapter 1, verse 7 and 9. The same apostle, he writes, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know what that means? The conflicts that we experience, the tensions we might experience in our men's group and women's group and church-wide and home groups, if we walk in the light, if we keep confessing our sins, the light leads us to the unity. The type of unity that Christians can only have. Not political, diplomatic unity, but genuine, spiritual, heart unity that we belong to each other, that we could overcome the differences, that we could forbear with each other's hang-ups, idiosyncrasies. I think this is utterly important for the coming days for our journey ahead. And thirdly, there's a phrase, John, not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist, or some other uh, people, because there's a Baptist denomination, they will say, John the Baptizer came to bear, wit bear witness about the light. So in other words, John the Baptist's mission was to point to Jesus he wasn't done light, himself, but he was a witness to the light, the true light of salvation. Verse, verses 6 through 9. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John the Baptist's story will come right back up as soon as the prologue is over. But the reason why John the Apostle is introducing John is to accentuate the importance of the witness about the true light, that he didn't come out all of a sudden out of blue. I'm the light. I'm the true Messiah, promised Messiah, the Christ. All through the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament prophets. And in that sense, John is the last Old Testament prophet who witnessed, who bore witness for the true light. Hence the reason Jesus said, among the man who was born from woman, who is 
there is no greater. Not because he's a greater person, but because his responsibility role is greater than anybody else to introduce the Messiah. The important thing is this. All through this Old Testament, the prophets performed the miracles, signs, but their main mission is point to the Messiah, the hope in Messiah, the coming Messiah. Okay, we might not be the specifically appointed the prophet who received a special revelation from God. Because the written revelation is here already. But in the same sense, their mission was point to Christ. Our mission is also to point to Christ. This relieves me quite a bit. Because when you, when you look at um, typical pastor's role in these days, it's a multitasking, right? But unnecessary self-condemnation comes, and not only pastor, but any kind of Christians, that you have to be good at every single, pa- every single aspect. Okay, I might be good at certain area, but am I patient with people? Well, I have a lot of struggle with that. I confess my sins every day because of my impatience. Am I passionate for God? Am I lead with passion? Yes! But am I slowing down to listen more? Do my teenagers crazy about me? I just had a big fight with one of my boys a couple of weeks ago. I need to resolve it. But the reason I'm, I'm not jumping into the lecture or conflict resolution is the Holy Spirit convicted me that I need to develop, cultivate relationship, more mutual relationship, which, which will take time. I'm praying how should I how, how I should approach. In the meantime, the prompting was let him be. I just drive him up the wall. I see a lot of things like towel on the floor and you know his socks or I, I, let him be for now. Let me bring back the main point here. My job and your job. Is not being drawing attention to us that we are such a good moral person, such a good character in many different aspects, that you're a good worker, you're a good entertainer, hospitality, and you're such a fun loving dialogue person, you know, you're chatty and, and you could motivate like you know, Don. Others, our simple job is in spite of our brokenness, our incomplete sanctification process, point to Christ, the perfect Holy One, the true light. Without this true light, 
everyone has blindness, right? And they will not come to the true saving knowledge in Christ. We just finished the Second Corinthians series. Let me remind you this passage in chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. The Apostle Paul writes, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, in our default mode, the reason why our non-Christian friends typically do not understand as we're sharing because the God of this world, God of this darkness, the evil one blinds them. So even maybe sharing the gospel, we could be encouraged in this way because when we think about you know, person who's very attractive and seem to have uh, everything together in their family. Oh, if they listen to the gospel, they might come to know Christ. Or oh, that family, oh, listen to strange music and there's a lot of party going on. It really has to do whether they're receiving the light whether we are pointing to the true light. So we must not say no for them. They will reject Christ because their own hardened heart. Let them say no to Christ for themselves. And fourth and last point that there are only two responses to Jesus who came, who came to, into the world. The phrase, but to all who did receive him, gives us so much hope. Verse 10 through 13, John writes, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. The sad thing is that Jesus eternal word, the creator God came into his own. In that sense, we could think about it, all human beings are his own because he created them. But in specific, in Gospel of John context, obviously he's referring to the Israel. 
the Jews, who have received the prophecy over and over throughout the Old Testament, have not received him, the true light. I'm reiterating, we should never think about from human reason, so, somehow we make it attractive as if we need to make, have a better commercial and programmatic or pragmatic as well. And the church service can become that way as well. And that's all we need. And they'll buy it. No. Default mode of fallen human hearts. Do not gravitate to the God who is the light. Who actually runs away from God. Why? Because their deeds are evil. But some, even the Israelites, but some, in that context, very few, few Jewish people receive Christ. To them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in him. And the verse 13 is as important as verse 12 because it clarifies it is not because you are born to elders' family or missionary family, or pastor's family, or your parents or churchgoer in the past. Or it is not because of the will somebody really wanted, the determination is there. It is not because of some, somebody has a strategy to make you Christian. They might make you churchgoer, but never rebirth. Recreation can happen. It's of God. So when we think about our children, we should tremble. Just because we provide the right environment, just because we make them go, until you are 18, you, you are coming to church with me, their body might come. But when they do leave to college, and when they're on their own, what will they choose in their own heart? If there is no rebirth, they will walk away from God. Did you notice this? Um, John's intentionally repeating the two phrases back to back, but to all who did receive him, which also means believed in his name. So receiving him is a believing what he has done, who he is, is my Lord and Savior, I believe in Jesus' name. All my weight is in Jesus' name. That's what it means to receive him as well. Going back to my story in the beginning. I was 13. I was at a summer retreat. How many times have I heard the same message over and over? I... I it's a countless, I can't remember. But the same message became bright. I opened my eyes. I don't remember the pastor's name or his face or anything. I just remember he preached that God is light. Come closer to God. 
people don't come close to God because their dirty sins are, are revealed. And at that moment, I mentally turn around and look at myself. I was one of those early maturing adolescents who are self-righteous. I know it all, that mentality. The center of the universe is me, and I will judge. I have a good opinions about church, but no way I'm a sinner. I am not a sinner. When I turned around, it was the opening of my eyes of my heart. I saw myself as a sinner, not because I did such and such thing, but because that the fact that I lived indifferently from God, apart from God, that itself was convicting sin so much so that I started crying in the middle of gathering. And I was one of the self-conscious, the big kid, crying in the middle. I tried to stop. I couldn't. The kids are turning around. And that night, and in the mountain I came out, the trees were, because of windy, it sounded like when I, when I finally confessed, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. By the way, the, the preacher finished with the message of the cross, that Jesus, your sins are revealed, but Jesus loves you this much. Come to the cross. So I come. I did that in my heart. I didn't, I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> And as I coming out to the door, I felt like those trees are clapping. I was ninth grade. One of the toughest kids in the school. The culture is, you guys know James Dean, right? That's the coolness. You don't goofy, have a goofy smile. If, I, if you look at my teenage, those years, I look, I look mad, scary, like that. But I, I think at least about two, three months, I couldn't stop crying. Some kids probably thought that I was high, high on something. My eyes were opened. The life became a real, eternal life. The songs that we sing at church became my love songs. And the scripture became real to me. Simply because I did receive Christ. And two more stories, quick stories. One of my fondest memories about Crossway um, was that Jamie's cousin came, Jamie Park's cousin. We didn't even have our office. So during the lunch, she expressed a desire to receive Christ, and I shared the gospel a little bit and said, let's go to the private place. So we went into Olive Crest HR office. My wife Kate has a part-time there. So as I challenged, would you receive Christ? Is there any reason you should not receive Christ? To solidify, I even, she's a young, uh, attractive, professional woman. I don't know, something prompted me. I said, 
to show your surrender to Christ, would you kneel with me before Christ? No hesitation. She did receive Christ. From time to time, I hear about her. I'm still walking with God. And whenever we have a big Sunday, she, she and her husband and her kids come. Oh, such a joy. There is life. Not because she became or I became a better person, but because we're in Christ. Final story. I was, rem I was remembering the, this very night. Because there was the night, I was doing college ministry at UCI campus, and during the daytime, I worked as an operation manager and in Porex for business. So at night, I will meet with students at this coffee shop. It's it's a Pete's Coffee and Tea now, but back then it's called used to be called Jitters. Do you guys remember that? And then I had an appointment with students back to back. And one of them was Jessica, Jessica Lee. And, and Jessica told her story about her cancer in high school. There's a broken story. And then she was all ready to receive Christ. And then she received Christ with tears of joy. This girl named Kathy came in, next appointment. She received Christ. And I think it, maybe the same night or some other night, this girl named Yvonne came and received Christ. That night when I was growing home, driving back, back then I used to live in Fullerton, I couldn't drive anymore because I was welled up and teared up. I was block, it was blocking my view. I, I had to just literally park on the shoulder of a freeway. Tears of joy running down. I still remember, Lord Jesus, let me live for this for the rest of my life. And if I remember that, a lot of struggles, and my, I mean, mistakes that I make, and conflicts or tensions that I go through, or obstacles in church face, all that makes everything worthwhile. And I encourage you to remember your story as you're hearing my story. I'm sure if you have rebirth, regeneration experience, born again experience, you will recall that joy as well. Your calling might not be full-time ministry, but your calling is the same as the mission of John the Baptist, pointing to Christ, whoever who doesn't know, have Christ. I close with a court excerpt from John Piper. Piper writes, we need to be born we need to have spiritual life. That is what God does according to John 1.13 without any help from us. Not of the will of the flesh, flesh, 
nor of the will of a man, but of God. We're born of God by a free act of sovereign grace. He chooses us before we choose him. But when God does that, what we now have is a newborn sinner. The spiritual life is present, but so is sin, and a whole history of sin. In this condition, we would have no right to take our place in the house of God, no authority, no empowerment, except for one thing. God not only provided the regeneration by which we are born again, but also the authorization by which we can lay claim to our inheritance as children, even though we are sinners. And that is precisely where Jesus comes in. The moment you believe in Jesus, the moment you receive him for, he, for who he really is, in that moment he gives you not only new birth, but the right and authority as a sinner to lay claim to your inheritance as a child of God, to become legally, as it were, with due authority, what you are by virtue of new birth, because you were born of God. Amen to that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into to the world in spite of our rejection. Thank you also that you have given us light that opened our eyes to the glory of Christ and to the gospel and to our own needs. And I thank you that through this passage you're stirring our hearts again. And I pray for revival for our church I pray that, that each one of us will experience a renewal, that we could feel things deeply for you, and our joy comes from you, and our congregation, our communal time, our worship and home, home group gathering fellowship time will even become sweeter. That we begin to see the true reality, lasting reality of everyday life beyond physical things, beyond entertainment, and what feels good. Oh God, we don't have any source of power. So we ask you, your Holy Spirit, who reside in us, that life will become a fruitful in us, in our church. May each one of us sing a new song of joy and praise and gratitude because of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.